This is uh, Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception. Today, I'm here with Mike Dudas of The Block. Hey, Mike. Great to be here. So what is The Block, anyway? So we're calling ourselves the first and final word in digital assets. That's today's version of what we are, and it's what we plan to be for the next decade. When we originally created the business more than a year ago, we were crypto simplified. Uh, what we really found very quickly is that cryptocurrency and digital assets can't be simplified, nor should they be. Uh, so we hired a professional team of researchers. We have six folks on the team uh, and we have four journalists. So we have an editorial team of 10. And what we're working to do is go deeper than mainstream media does into an emerging asset class and an emerging technology class. We've found in most other areas of money and most other areas of technology, you're getting your information filtered by uh, you know, what we would call traditional journalists or people who actually have to go to primary sources to figure out what the heck's going on. And we try to fix that by actually being the primary source and the users of the technology ourselves. This is one of those cases where we really backed you, figuring that given what you've done, maybe talk about in a minute, and just who you are, I don't know how it's going to come out, but you're going to figure out something, which it sounds like you're in the process of doing, actually. We're in the, we have a company and not a product phase now, and so it's actually figuring out how to take it to the next level and turn it into a profitable company, uh, particularly because people are interested these days investors uh, mostly and, and public investors uh, certainly in profitable companies not in uh, you know cash burning enterprises as we've seen from WeWork etc. Amen to that and of course as you know we've been focused that way all along exactly. a little older practical uh, growth is wonderful but so is endurance. Look, the, the cash burning, always looking for the next round of funding model is a, I mean, it's just a model that burns people out. I mean, even the most successful, you've seen it. Um, Uber, I mean, it, it truly did burn out the CEO and the team and, and leads to you know, bad practices. Yeah, and you've had sex before. So, you know, on the personal side, maybe go into the long, strange trip. So there you were like doing strategy at Disney or something. Yeah, and, and now yeah. here you are, the sort of information czar of uh, cryptocurrency. How did that happen? Most folks that I knew coming out of college, uh, they were going into consulting or banking. Now, I was interested in those disciplines, but I wanted to work at a company. I was fortunate enough to be able to work at Disney. And, and boy, I met some really amazing people, and it was the best choice I made, and I was lucky to, to get the job. Now, it's not functionally what I love to do, but I was working on real businesses that were real interesting, um, and people went all sorts of different directions after that. Starting in that place, working on products I loved, I realized, look, this is what I want to do the rest of my career. I made the mistake of going to business school. I lost a couple years there and then took a job at Kaplan uh, that I didn't like out of school. So then I woke up, I was like 27. And since then, it's been you know more than a decade in tech. It's primarily been tech related to money, money and commerce. So you know Google, I worked on Google Wallet. Then I worked at uh, Braintree, which owned Venmo, and then started a company after that called uh, Button with some folks here, here in New York and was the chief revenue officer. So I spent four years on that. Uh, and the whole idea and common thread of all these companies was you know, using mobile technology 
to help people pay for things in you know, more efficient, cheaper ways and to make the process easier. And the technology that was kind of in the back of my head and that was created around the same time I started in money. I mean, I started on Google Wallet in 2009, 2010, and, and you know, Bitcoin obviously was uh, created in 2009. Uh, yeah, I'm working in fintech, but the real financial and money magic is happening today and, and has been for a long time, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in really Bitcoin. Uh, and then I think there are some interesting things happening in the cryptocurrency ecosystem more broadly, Ethereum, uh, some privacy coins. And now we're seeing, you know, central bank digital currencies and, and corporate digital currencies. So I said, hey, you know, how can I contribute here? And it felt like there was not very good information in this ecosystem. A lot of people making decisions. We saw a lot of people lose a lot of money from the peak of early 2018 to now and felt like, hey, getting a group together to communicate more clearly what was important in this space and what's real mattered. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, the progression makes sense. And that was actually why we invested. I mean, there were two sides to it. There still are. One is if you take a long enough event horizon, uh, there are going to be products in the future that are incredibly personalized. Therefore, every single transaction is a private transaction based on trust because are you you is it and how are you going to do that you can't just do credit card transaction because each one of these things is kind of a, a one-off the other is uh, as the consequential information deepens so hacking your uh, uh credit card number is one thing, hacking your heartbeat is something else again. And it all looked to us like these concepts are going to be really important in the future. Meanwhile, when we looked out at, at what was going on, it looked like something between the uh, Arab Spring and a Irish bar fight. And it hasn't changed, right? I mean, it's only gotten more so as we move forward. Yeah, we're like, we can't get in the middle of that. <laughs> so what could we do? Yeah. We... Uh, can get involved with a company that's essentially uh, up on the uh, mezzanine a little bit, looking down on the bar fight, and maybe you can help us get a sense of what the heck is going on. Yeah, I, I think we're still on that mezzanine, right? Sure looks like it. Yeah, and, uh, and these systems will take, it feels like, a really significant amount of time to be built out. What you're feeling now is that uh, that bar fight and, and the the monitoring and the surveillance really reaching its apex and everybody becoming so fundamentally aware of it. It's interesting. I mean, to have this conversation today after Zuckerberg got yes. you know, pilloried on Capitol Hill in the hearing about Facebook's Libra, uh, you know, we've kind of reached that ultimate dystopian point where the biggest uh, corporation in the world in terms of people reach you know, 2.7 billion people wants to create money and every government in the world right. is saying uh-uh it's it's interesting because consumers might and, and people might not even care right i mean facebook's saying hey we're giving people financial access but uh the reason i love bitcoin is because you don't have this centralized scary intermediary when you look at a company like facebook it has all kinds of wonderful attributes but billions of dollars in value have been created entirely from the lives of others and how much of that value has flowed back to the source none you know, Twitter's a platform, for example, where there's, I think, more demonstrable value to the end user, right? I can I can amplify my own voice personally. Uh, people I don't know as friends can communicate with me. Uh, their earnings just came out and, you know, they're, they've 
barely been profitable in any quarter since they were created, I think. Uh, so, it, you know, I don't, yeah, so today, that type of hybrid media um, that's not, that's sub, I guess, Facebook global scale that doesn't uh, sell you something, it's, it's, it's a, there's not a tremendous amount of at least profitable, um, you know, economic value there. So, yeah, I'm kind of befuddled. I, I mean, if you looked at China and other countries, um, the social platforms there really are the center of your financial life. But again, that's censorship oriented, meaning, you know, the Chinese government is literally looking and or has the ability to look at every single thing you do think and purchase. And we don't want that outcome. I know you don't. I don't. <laughs> well, we don't. But uh, of course, we're not the world. And I have Chinese friends and colleagues who Note that, but then also say, God, it's so convenient. <laughs> you just walk in there and you know what you want. It's just like, really, life is easy in a way. And we're seeing and our, our government is looking pretty ugly, too. Yeah. You know, if I'm looking from the outside yeah. uh, and I'm you know, not a born citizen of the U.S. or China, I don't know. I mean, I might be sitting there saying, huh. At least from what I'm here, what I would hear as a uh, as a third party, you know, neither one of those is perfect, frankly. No. But, uh, you know, one of the things we say about these kinds of things is that the change that comes in the future is neither good nor bad. It's just different. And the question of whether it's good or bad is construct. Yeah. So my good I is like your that. bad. Uh, you know, we have from our health fund, U.S.-based health-related companies start here, immediately go to China. Why? Because they can get all of the data on everybody from these enormous hospital chains. What does that do? It perfects the AI. Then they bring that AI over here, all precise, and it helps all kinds of people. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If they tried to do the same thing here, it wouldn't happen. 50 different states, all these different rules, be tied up in uh, back and forth forever about whether you can actually access people's data that way. So there's a lot of things that uh, I think are in play uh, here, you know, and just taking what you just said, is profit the right measure for something like this? Because the U.S. government yeah. isn't measured by profit. It's measured by the sum total of economic activity it engenders, the gross national product. So if you're the repository of the value of all the data and actions of all the people on Earth, you profitable? Is that what you're measured on? Or you're measured on the fact that so much of the economic activity of the earth and its people flows through you, which is a different thing. You should be maximally efficient on behalf of that constituency. It's kind of the antithesis of how uh, a true, I think, Bitcoiner or, or the ones that I talk to think about and, and perceive, for example, government's role, right? Hey, government shouldn't be in charge of you know, value creation for a society, right? It should be the collection of, of individuals. Um, uh, and that's why so many people who are Bitcoin supporters get concerned actually with a centrally uh, controlled fiat, a fiat currency where money creation and access to money uh, is used as a lever, you know, for the furtherance of government interest. Now, I don't quite get to that the point on the barometer where, you know, it alarms me to the degree it might certain Bitcoiners. But, um, you know, I, I like the notion that there will be, for example, a countervailing force or, or another, you know, option 
uh, in addition to you know the the Chinese yuan or the U.S. dollar as a you know kind of reserve asset for the globe and somewhere where I can transact or or you know um, you know denote the creation of economic value. Currency is currency. It's the flow of activity related to what people want to buy and sell and what they do and all that. And it's got all different kinds of constructs to represent it. Everything from knots in ropes to little pieces of wood or coins or whatever. And they're just constructs. They're just temporal ways of trying to capture that flow. And the notion that the best way to do that is to have the government do it is a relatively recent idea. Right. It's only been around for a few hundred years. Most of human history, no government money. There's no uh, compelling evidence that says it always has to be that way. It just was that way for a whole lot of historical reasons. But I think the other question then is, can it be completely without structure? Well, is it possible there'll be universal agreement on everything and 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 even all the people on earth absent government is is a society of sorts and everybody in facebook is a society of sorts and everybody touched by the softbank vision fund is a society of sorts and even those to us you know old gray hairs even those groups require some structure to function a fed a something uh, and we just don't know what it is. Uh, intellectually, it's very interesting, though. Yeah, and the point that you closed with, we don't know what it is, is kind of the starting point for all of what people today would call crypto you know, economics and governance. We're, we're really at the beginning of this experiment. This is a multi-decade global and open experiment. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. The ones that are most interesting to us may be a little bit on the fringe for... You, we just saw one blockchain related that codifies that the goods you're getting are the goods you bought. And this is on things like grain. So you bought rice from Indonesia. Is it the rice you bought from Indonesia that showed up on the dock? How do you know? And they're actually blockchain enabling like random rice kernels and things. Yeah. So, so you can't separate the validation from the object itself because there's no place to find it. And then in health, we're, we're seeing this question of the truth. In other words, uh, is that actually my brain scan? Again, trust. Somebody's got to trust it because I'm putting my brain scan up there. And the other side has to be able to feel trust that what they're getting is what they expect and it's validated. Otherwise, I got brain cancer and I just hid that from you and you're making all kinds of bad choices. Or somebody substituted something for my uh, heart rate, and I'm not getting insured, and I don't know why. I have a personal story like that. I'm 40. I feel like that's kind of right in the midpoint of life, and starting to have friends who have you know, different, more health issues than we did when we were 20. And yeah, that that recently happened to to a friend of mine, somebody who got uh, blood results from a very very reputable institution that were wrong, um, and they related to a cancer that my friend had. So you know, the stakes are really high, you know, really, again, yeah, validating the record and then validating uh, and attesting to the authority of, of the person who's done it and their record. We're going to see a lot. I think it's maybe a different point than what you started with. But this notion, too, of, of like, what is your authority? And uh, I don't want to get too black mirror into <laughs> scoring people. And <laughs> you're, you're, but, but it's happening in China. So let's come down from the cosmic to the more day in, day out. So 
there's a bar fight down there. You're looking at a bar fight. You're trying to figure out how to create a rational, profitable business from looking at a bar fight. Yeah. The thing that we've chosen to do is find the other folks who are profiting from the bar fight and help them do it better. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that would, I guess, be the bar man. Just keep, keep say, feeding the them booze. Yeah. In every case. yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're talking to the, the folks who, you know, capital formation traders, um, but yeah, the financial infrastructure around digital assets and cryptocurrencies is our primary customer base today. It's, you know, creating a real financial infrastructure around cryptocurrency around a new asset class is, is almost a precondition for it to uh, achieve large scale. I mean, if there's not institutional money, if it stays out on the fringe, it simply, uh, it simply you know, really won't be particularly important. So you mentioned being 40 at the midpoint of life. So and you've had this sort of interesting ride up to this point. So who's the you at 50? Yeah, so I think that person. So one is, it, as you get, as I get to this point, and I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and a wonderful wife, you know, life becomes less about you and more about the people around you. I think of 50 as kind of, uh, I'll be, uh, I'm always family first, but marrying family life and a chaotic uh, startup life and, you know, no matter how well the business is doing, startup life is always chaotic. And candidly, having a five-year-old and a two-year-old in the city like New York City is always going to be chaotic. So I look forward and hope to to be able to focus much, much, much more on family. Um, and, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is it will require, and so, so it's, it's an innate motivator towards uh, startup and, and economic success, uh, because if you don't have the outcomes, you're still going to be working just as hard in 10 years and 20 years. You know, I really do, you know, hope that you know, Button, my last company, continues on the successful path that it's on, um, that, that we do the same. You know, I'm really optimistic about the block. I feel as if, uh, if this market matures, uh, over the long run in the way that I expect it to, we're going to be sitting really pretty. Sounds great. And that's probably as good a note as any to end on. You just described the sort of classic fundamentals of happiness. <laughs> uh, great to talk to you. As always, we could go on for hours, but I think we have to give it a wrap here. Talk soon. Thanks, Mike. Great yeah. seeing you. Bye-bye.